So y'all having rough times, huh? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, let's jump in then. Uh, open your Bibles to Philippians one, uh, starting in verse eighteen. I'm not as sick this week, so you won't hear me sniffle as much. But I'm still gonna sniffle. Uh, while y'all are opening there, um, I just want to go real quick. We went over last week, just to give you a quick reminder. So last week we saw that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, right? And we saw how Paul is like, hey, I'm in prison, but don't worry about me because my imprisonment is advancing the gospel regardless. And we saw how an incredible, like just incredible rejoicing Paul has. Because he, end, he ended last week with whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaiming and in that I rejoice. You know, there's always going to be people who try to do things and maybe preach the gospel out of selfish ambition, maybe to exalt themselves, maybe to make somebody else look bad and wrong. But Paul realizes that the gospel is being preached, and in another in pretense or truth, he's going to rejoice in the gospel being preached from prison or from the field. And we saw how, because of Paul's imprisonment, how his circumstances did not affect him. How his imprisonment did not affect his zeal for the gospel and how it did not affect the truth of the gospel in his heart, the truth of the gospel in his life, and in the way he presented the gospel. He didn't suffer down and suffer down or slide down and suffer and sink into a hole because he was suffering. You know, then we saw in Psalm 13 <laughs> how David is just sitting here and he's going, God, where are you? I don't see you. Why are you forsaking me? How long are you going to not listen to me? How long am I not going to hear your voice? But in the end, David ends Psalm 13 with, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My, my soul shall rejoice in your salvation. I will live, I will to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David did not let his circumstances get in the way of his praise of the Lord. Paul did not let his circumstances get in the way of his praise of the Lord and we, we were challenged that we all suffer, right? It's going to happen. If you're a believer, you're going to suffer. What's up, Joe? Good to see you, buddy. Because there's pretty much three types of people in the world, especially Christians, those who are about to suffer, those who are suffering, and those who have suffered. And it's just a repeating cycle because usually the people who have suffered are about to suffer again. You know, and you're all talking about how hard you're having a time right now and how things are stressful, you don't have time, freaking out about college and maybe your friends are trying to move you away from the Lord but we need to adapt the attitude of Paul especially in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says to not lose heart that the things are temporal and they're meaningful and they're doing something in us and the suffering's teaching us and molding us to be more like Christ which is an incredible blessing because we get to be like Christ and be made holy in his image right we can't lose heart. We have nothing to fear. Christ is everything. Rejoice in that. And with that said, let's jump in. Uh, first, uh, Philippians 1. We're going to do verse 18 again, and then we'll go from there. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance 
as my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. That's my coming to you again. So we see Paul's passion for the gospel, right? We see his zeal for the gospel and his need for Christ to be shared no matter what and it just it just continues as we have seen every week so far that Paul one desire above everything else is for Christ to be exalted no matter what to see Christ exalted whether in prison or freedom and whether in pretense or in truth and he rejoices right we just talked about that we talked about it last week he rejoices in everything he rejoices in his suffering and his pain and his weakness, and his fear, and his doubt, and his, his torture, and imprisonment, and his casting out, and his, even in his death. And he starts off tonight with something different. Like, he's, he's been here like, hey, I'm praying for you, Philippians. I'm praying for you. I love you so much. And I'm praying for you and encouraging you to love with your, that your love may abound more and more, and that you may know Christ. But now in 19, he starts with, For I know that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he's praying for them. Now he's soliciting the Philippians' prayers. He's saying, Look, I'm in prison, and it is by the power of the Spirit of Jesus that will be moved by your prayers that I will be released. And there's a lot of debate about that word deliverance. It has two meanings in Greek. It means the temporal deliverance or freedom, and then it means the permanent deliverance or eternity or salvation. And a lot of people have debated, I've heard a lot of debates about, well, is he ta he's talking about temporal deliverance. He's obviously talking about trying to get out of prison and continue sharing the gospel. But some people argue, no, he's talking about eternity and finally being done with his suffering on earth and going with Christ. I kind of think it's both. Because if it's both, you can see it in the contrast in the passage. Verse 20 says, That is, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be able to shame, but with full courage now as always will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And we see that same tension in verse 23 and 24. For I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And it's, it's, it's interesting, the narrative of the, of the linearity of the passage, because Paul almost seems like he's, like, struggling with this, and then towards the end, he's just like, okay, I know what I'm doing. It's like he's, he's like, having to work it out as he's writing it, and I think that's really interesting. Like, he didn't, it's not like he's sitting here like, well, I think about this, I think about this. Okay, let me write, let me write this down right. No, he's writing this as he's thinking about it. And I don't know why that's interesting. It's just interesting that Paul is so forthcoming with his letters. That he's not trying to plan out what he's saying, that he's letting the Holy Spirit work through him. The Spirit speak through him and inspire him to speak. 
but we see it all <laughs> we see it all works out in verse 25 convinced of this i know that i will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith <laughs> paul knows the lord is not finished with him yet there's a a ren collective song that we, we, it was just on a second ago actually it says you're not finished with me yet by your power i have been saved you're not finished with me yet and that is paul's cry here he goes in verse 25 I'm convinced I'm, I'm not done yet. And this is towards the end of Paul's life. He's in his 60s. Most believe, I mean, he could be maybe 58, but he, it's towards the end of his life because he didn't live past 70. He died just a, like four or five years after he was released from prison in Rome, where he is now. So, but it's amazing because he's, he, he's at the point it's almost like he has an indifference, right? He's at the point where he's like, look, whether in life or death, I'm going to glorify Christ. And then we see the tension continue in verse 21, which is where we're going to camp out, where we're going to, everything's going to revolve around. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is game. What an incredible statement, right? And Paul would say it. You know, I joked about it last week, how difficult must it have been to fight with Paul? Hey, we're not going to kill you. Okay, well, I'm live as Christ. I'm going to preach the gospel. Okay, we're going to lock you up. Well, and then I'm going to convert all the guards, and we're going to kill you. Well, death is gain. <laughs> Please, I get to be with Jesus. So let's look at this. Let's look at what it means when he says, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And then we'll start with the latter. Uh, I want to start on the negative side, and I don't want to and sad again because I got too emotional last week and it was just great but still so to die is gain what does this mean how can we gain from dying anybody want to guess exactly so most worldly views of dying are hey you're dying this is the end if you're an atheist what do you what do you become a tree I mean there's the, the the thought of eternity doesn't exist outside of religion in general, but especially Christianity, because dying is not a good thing for people. But for us, it's different, right? I'm sure you've heard this many a time said, but when we die, we get to see Jesus. You just somebody just said it. Paul doesn't just teach us in a class. He even says to die would be better than being here. To continue to suffer and feel pain and travel all over the world in the hot sun and be shackled up and beaten and lashed and tortured. It would be better to just be united with Christ. And yes, death is better. Paul's not wrong. Is he better than your friends? <laughs> is death better than family, than success, getting married, having kids, having grandkids, seeing financial gain? Yes, yes, yes. It is better than all of that. Death for a believer is pretty much the best. Because we, not only do we get to see Christ, but we get to praise him for eternity. We get to sit in the joy 
Christ and all the struggle and strife and conflict and pain and sorrow and weeping and moaning are gone. We don't have to suffer anymore. We get to be united with the triune God and praise Him in joy and love and peace forever. <laughs> Saying that makes me think, hey, why do we even want to live, right? But that's not, that's not the thought that I'm trying to solicit from you. That's not what I'm trying to get at. I'm just trying to paint the picture that Paul knows this world is not home. All the biblical writers in this world was in home. It's very temporal. John Piper says we're pilgrims. Just walking through the world. Where Peter says we're elect exiles. There are songs written about how we do not belong here. This is not our home. And I think a big problem is that we treat it like our home. We latch on to worldly things. Nice houses. Nice cars good food. We make them idols. We make them bigger than Christ in our lives. And it's, it's not it's not the attitude that we should have, but we'll get there. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> but think about think about how much Paul has said, and he said before, hey, my imprisonment has given courage to believers. It has made believers bold for the gospel. It has made people want to share the gospel with other people. Seeing me in prison and seeing my faith in my zeal has made people want me want to preach the gospel more and share his name because they have no fear. Because they know, they know Christ will take care of me by my example. As what Paul says earlier last week, we saw that. Now, can you imagine what his death would do? It's backwards, right? It's like the worse the, the condemnation and punishment, the more zeal and courageous the Christians get. It's incredible. And if you don't, if you leave them alone, they're going to grow still. You can't be beaten. <laughs> Jesus doesn't lose the battle with Satan. It's already won. So imagine if Paul died, what it would do they already have courage as imprisonment. What if he's gone? They rise up more. And we see this a lot in Scripture. A great example of it is Stephen, the first martyr, who Paul actually orders to have stoned to death before he's Paul. <laughs> Fun fact. But Stephen, preaching the gospel and telling how wrong people are and rebuking them and telling them the truth of the gospel, is killed for it. He insults people and they stone him to death in the middle of a street. But what happens? The Christians are emboldened by Stephen's death. His martyrdom makes the church fan out and grow and explode. Stephen's death makes the church explode, and it doesn't change for any other martyr. A guy named of Shaf Herzog, um, who's a commentator, writes of the first martyr, the martyrs of the first 300s of Christianity, 300 years. Horror spread everywhere through the congregations, and the number of lapsi, or the ones who renounced their faith when threatened, was enormous. There were people everywhere 
renouncing their faith, saying, hey, do you believe in God? No. Re- convert or die. I'll, I'll convert. I don't want to die. We see that in Peter, right, when he says, hey, aren't, don't you know that Jesus guy? No. The same thing. And there was no lack, however, of such as remained firm and suffered martyrdom rather than yielding. And as the, as the persecution grew wider and more intense, the enthusiasm of the Christians and their power of resistance grew stronger and stronger. So we see the historical account that Christian martyrs came in and said, I will die for the name of Jesus. I will not turn away. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back was their cry. The cross before me, the world behind me. And they died for the name of Jesus and it emboldened the church and the Christians and they grew stronger and stronger with every death. So not only is to die gain for us as we go with Christ, to die is gain, is gain for everybody else. And that's hard to believe, right? It's hard to believe when we have family members die that Christ is glorified in that. It's hard to believe that when we see people hurt tortured to death and slaughtered, that it's hard to believe that Christ is glorified in that. But it's right here. Paul is saying to die is gain. And we see it, to die is not only gain for him. Yeah, he gets the ultimate gain, getting to be united with Christ for eternity, but we get gain because we're empowered by it. Um, Richard Wormbrand was uh, the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, which is a Christian organization all over the world. They work in the underground gospel in the Middle East. And he wrote a book called Tortured, which tells of his time in communist Romania in 1948 to 1956. In the book, he tells a story of a man who was tortured with red-hot spears, basically pokers, and knives. And these people, the Romanian communists, tortured him for days and days because he was a believer and because he would not renounce his faith. And as he saw this man tortured, he saw the faith that this man had. But then the communists brought in his 14-year-old son. He's, he's younger than most of you guys. And they start beating his son to death in front of him. They're like, your son has to renounce his faith or we're not going to stop beating him. The father can't take it. He's begging his son, son, just tell them what they want. Please stop letting them hurt you. And it's incredible what the son says. This 14-year-old kid says, Father, do, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus in my fatherland. And he killed him. And they beat him to death. But can you imagine what the, what the son's death did for that father? Yeah, he was, it crushed him, I'm sure. But he saw the faith and the zeal that his son, his 14-year-old son had for Jesus. And it emboldened him. 
That kid knew what it meant to die as gain. He truly believed it in his heart. Uh, Garner Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts has done studies on Christian martyrdom. And they, they think that averaging, there's, there, there's going to be 100,000 Christian martyrs this year. This year. In 1970, it was 370,000. So the number's gone down, but they predict it's going to go back up. All of those people, the people who ISIS is attacking and killing and the children that they're slaughtering, truly believe when Christ says to die, Christ, when Paul says to die is gain. They, get, they understand what he's saying. So imagine that we're all gathered around a campfire maybe in some other country on a mission trip or something, or maybe we're just in the woods. Just here, maybe we're at Huntsville, I don't know. But imagine we're grabbed around and then a group of anti-Christian terrorists come into the camp and attack us. And they take every single one of us, one by one, point a gun at our forehead and say, do you believe that Jesus is the Lord and the only way to heaven? What do you do in that situation? These are questions we need to be asking ourselves. What would I do? Would I look at him and say yes, knowing full well that I would probably be killed in that moment? Or we would renounce our faith and say, no. I don't think, I don't think Jesus is like that. I don't, I don't, I'm not for that. Please don't kill me. What would you do in that situation? And that might be hard to relate to because I know that that's, Death isn't really a threat for us, is it? We're not in the Middle East where we have people running through our towns killing Christians. We're in a, we're in a country where Christianity is acceptable. Legally, anyways. Culturally, it's not always acceptable. So we don't, we don't have to fear death, right? That's hard to relate to. But it's something we need to be thinking about regardless. And that's why I want to focus on to live as Christ. What does that mean? The very forefront we see here in Philippians, just right here, Paul says, to live as Christ. He says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Verse 26, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again. So for Paul, to live as Christ is one, what he's called to and he knows is right now. And he wants to join with the Christians again and complete joy with each other. To love on them and have joy fulfilled in their love for each other. Because the popular belief for unselfish love is you can't love somebody unselfishly if you're seeking anything in it, right? I'm sure we've heard that. But I really, I don't believe that's the case because our love and joy for other people is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. And we see that for Paul. He's not just doing it out of obligation. He wants to experience joy and joy in the running of the faith with his, with his brothers and sisters. He doesn't just want to love them and teach them about Jesus because he's commanded to. He wants to do it for his own pleasure, which in the end glorifies God. Because Christ is most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in him. And that's what Paul is saying to live as Christ is right here. 
to live as Christ is to pursue joy in Christ with your brothers and sisters. He's been talking about community a lot, and he's not stopping. To live as Christ for us is to come together, to pray at our schools, to have joy as we seek the Lord. As we grow in our faith, as we face struggles and busyness and stress from school and friends and whatever else. We're here so we can have joy in Christ. And we're here so we can have joy in Christ together. This is not a lone wolf story. This is not a lone wolf, wolf religion. Yes, I said wolf, Riley. <laughs> We're had to have joy in Christ. But what else does Scripture say about living in Christ? To live as Christ, it can't just be joy, or can it? I would say it is the ultimate goal. Absolutely, we have to joy in everything. Absolutely everything. But the truth is, we all need purpose. Right? We talked about that in the first week. We all need purpose. We all need something driving us to move forward. As you apply for college, you're probably looking for it. Or even you're not even thinking about college yet. You're just thinking about getting through calculus or pre-cal or algebra one. But those of you who are, who are applying to colleges, you're like, what's my purpose for applying to college? What college do I want to go to and why do I want to go there? What do I want to be for the rest of my life and what is that what purpose is that going to put for me to pick and what school am I going to pick and what degree am I going to pick? How can my college choice supplement this my purpose for life? And we see this a lot in the military. It's a perfect example of it. These men come together, they go to boot camp and they start going through hell and all the awfulness that is boot camp and they get the crap beat out of them. Did I say crap? I don't know. I'm going to say it anyways. And, but, they, but they have to rally together, right? In boot camp, they have to rally and beat this thing and have the tar kicked out of them by their commanding officers to, just to be built back up again. But they come together. And then once they leave training, they go to the field. Some go to Iraq and Afghanistan. Some are, get to stay in the States. Some go to other places. But because of the training they endured and because of the, the horrible things they, they face, they come together, brothers in arms. They come together after being beaten down and built back up again, brothers in arms, united for a cause. And they care about each other so much that they would die for each other. Because for a soldier, dying for your brother is gain. Dying for your country is gain. It means you did your duty and you did it well. And that is honorable. We can relate. Do you see the parallel? We come to Jesus. He draws us in. His Holy Spirit speaks to us and shows us the truth of the gospel and opens our hearts to him. And he tears us apart. You know, we, we treat the gospel as this pretty picture, but it's, it's not rainbows and chirping birds at first, is it? 
you know, some of us have been Christians really young, so we haven't experienced this as much as others. But he tears us apart. And he always, he's always tearing down our worldly view, our sinful view, and our sinful hearts. And he's tearing us apart just so he can build us back up again in the name of Christ. He breaks us just so he can perfectly sew us together. And then we come united. Brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters in arms, for the battle that is in the cause of Christ. And we fight for it. And we proclaim his name. And for us to die is gain because Christ is glorified. And that is also to live. That we would be united and suffer together. Because yeah, to die is gain is definitely better because we don't have to suffer anymore. Life's hard. And it doesn't get easier after high school, I promise. That might be really depressing. But that's okay, because there's a lot of joy in that that I wouldn't trade. But it, it's hard. Especially when you have to start looking at money and houses and cars and bills. Bills are not fun. You don't want to do with bills. Anyways. It's hard. And to, to live as Christ is, is it's suffering. We're going to suffer. We learned it last week. It's going to happen. It is inevitable. If you think that you can't suffer as a believer, you might not be a believer. We're going to suffer for the cause of Christ. Christ is going to tear us apart and build us back up. That is what to live as Christ means, right? Romans 12, 1. It's one of my favorite verses. says, Brothers, give your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What does that mean? That means that our bodies means everything. From head to toe and back again, everything is to live for Christ. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's the call of Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, For I no longer live, but Christ who lives, lives in me. To live is Christ. It is the zeal of fighting for Christ no matter what. It is the joy of having Christ in our lives. The ability to laugh and have fun with our believers and laugh when we're dumb and say stuff like wolf <laughs> in a sermon. <laughs> to live is Christ. But it is hard. And from the, the sound of things for y'all, you're seeing that it's hard. It's not this, well, they have a hard life. I don't really get it. No, you get it. Life is hard. But we are all called to live for Christ as believers. We are all called to be a name for Christ. And to shine a light on this dark world that is the light illuminating within us. See, when it's time to die, it's time to die, and Christ will take us. God will pick us up, and I'll be that, and we'll be with God forever. Hallelujah. But until that time comes, we are called to glorify his name in all the earth. Because what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or as John Piper puts it, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. 
speaking of John Piper, he puts this, 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 this purpose in our lives, this purpose of Christ, perfectly. I can't, I can't say it better. Man is here to interpret and transcribe the praises of God. Transcribe, to write. Man is here to interpret and transcribe the praises of God. Therefore, let us open our mouths and take up our pens and point the whole world to the praiseworthiness of God. Are you doing that? I'll be honest, I don't do it well a lot of the time. I always tell y'all I'm preaching to myself. This is, I need this message. Are you taking up your pen and transcribing the praise of God in everything you do? You need to ask yourself that. And because of all these things, to live as Christ to die as gain, death doesn't look so scary for us. Well, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be sorrowful, right? I'm not saying, hey, don't grieve over your brothers and sisters dying, please. Grieve. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says that we must have an attitude of sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's a beautiful harmony of the Christian soul that we must mourn and have sorrow for the brokenness in the world, but rejoice in that we have Christ above everything. Above everything, Christ is enough. And we sing that, and do you mean it when we sing it? Is he your treasure? Is he your reward? Is he all your devotion? Is Christ enough? Do your affections for Christ compete with things of the world? You have to ask yourself these questions, guys. I know I get so serious when I talk, but I, it's, it's serious. You have to ask yourself these questions. Is Christ enough for me? Or is the thought of losing everything for Christ hard to comprehend and hard to grasp because it's hard. I'll be honest, it's hard for me to comprehend and grasp. Death is scary. Which tells me I need more faith that Christ, that to die is gain. What about you? Don't pretend like you're not scared because you probably are. And if you're not, then hallelujah. That is a gift of the Lord. Rejoice in it. So how does this apply to us? I gave you some ways. But you know, I've been on the evangelism kick lately. Ever since I gave my evangelism message a month ago, I'm just on this kick of go tell your friends, hey, here's some postcards. Go tell your post friends about Jesus. This should empower us. Philippians should empower us to share the gospel with people. We have nothing to fear. We don't really have to fear getting killed for it, do we? The odds of that happening are small in this country. Rejoice in that. Be glad that we can freely share the gospel without being shot for it. So, and do it. Doesn't our lives seem kind of small sometimes compared to the suffering people face across the country, across the world? You know, we may lose friends. We may lose a job. We may not get and get a job. We may not have time for things that we want to. We may have to give up things that we don't want to. And those things are hard. 
don't get me wrong, those things are hard to give up. But are we going to give up all those things for the cause of Christ? Are we going to be a light in our schools, in our workplaces? Are you going to be a living sacrifice? Giving your life to Christ. And you're not going to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect. Jesus isn't asking you to be perfect because that's what grace is for. Because we're not perfect and we're not going to do it well a lot and we're going to mess up. Because there's people who are 60 years old still trying to figure this out. I'm 22. I'm not even close. <laughs> are we going to be living sacrifices? Are we going to preach the words every morning to us of 1 Corinthians 10.31? That says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is that written on your heart? Do you say that as you walk out the door? Does good coffee in the morning cause you to go, oh, Jesus, this is good. Thank you for good coffee. When you drink Starbucks, you go, this is bad coffee. I don't like it. Maybe that's just me. I'm sorry. I know. I insulted Starbucks. I apologize. Do you eat a good meal? Do you eat a steak and go, God, thank you for the steak. I, re I praise your name. I give you the glory for the steak that you provided here. Or do you go, hey, this is a good steak. Yay, nice dinner. I'm going to go to bed really full and, and feeling disgusting and pass out in my food coma. Do you eat or drink whatever you do? Do you do it for the glory of God? A great application for that is homecoming. And prom. Prom's just a more expensive homecoming. It really is, and they have chocolate fountains, so that's pretty cool. But they have two. But y'all just had homecoming, most of y'all. It was just last weekend. Some of y'all haven't had it yet, maybe. But how was homecoming for you? Did you conform to the oh, that was a rhetorical question? <laughs> did you conform to the world? Or did you show Christ? Because believe me, I know there's a lot of chances in homecoming to conform to the world. Did you conform to the world the way you dance, or did you show Christ? Did you conform to the world in the conversations you have with your friends, or the way you conducted yourself with your friends on the bus, or the van, or the limo, or whatever you took there? How was how was after homecoming? Did you show Christ in that? Were your friends drinking or maybe talking about sex and drugs and alcohol and cheating on tests and lying to parents and all the horrible things of the world that can catch us so easily? Did you join in and laugh with them and maybe even encourage it? Or did you sit here and go, hey, I'm not about that. I'm not going to be a part of it. have to examine ourselves. Hey, am I showing Christ in my schools or am I conforming to the world? I have, to t I have to look at myself every day and do that. Hey, am I showing Christ in my workplace or am I laughing at my coworkers' stupid jokes about getting high or drunk on the weekends and Marathon Monday and everything else. You probably don't even know what that is. You don't need to know. 
No, that's not it. You'll learn later. Don't worry about it. We have to, we have to ask ourselves these questions. And, and when those events come, we have to say to ourselves, am I going to conform to my friends in my group who maybe don't know Jesus? Or am I going to show them Christ by how I act? Whether that means you sit on the sidelines and you go, I'm going to hang out at the chocolate fountain and eat straw- chocolate strawberries all night. Or maybe chocolate shrimp, as I did at prom. I tried everything. I, I, it's, it's, it's a great experiment. Because I'm not much of a dancer and I don't like hot, sweaty messes. But are you going to conform to the world at prom? Maybe at homecoming you're like, I could have done better. I did this and I, I, I didn't show Christ and I was just like everybody else. Maybe I gave Christ a bad name. Are you going to do differently at prom? Or homecoming next year, the year after, or in college, as you go into a whole new world where you're faced with nothing but trial as a believer? We have to ask ourselves these questions and be aware of our actions so that we may live as, live as Christ. That we may die to self for the name of Christ. As Paul says in Philippians 3, Eight, and it's incredible, and we'll get there in like three months, but I'm going to keep coming back to it anyways just because it's so good. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Are you seeking the things of the world? And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be sinful. There are plenty of morally neutral things that steal our affections for the Lord and move us away from Christ. Movies are a great one. I love movies, but they steal my affections for Christ at times. And I have to be careful how much I watch. These video games. It's another one for me. I like video games. They're fun. But they're they can be very idolatrous and steal my affections for Christ and make me apathetic. Maybe it's just busyness. Are you too busy to spend time with Christ, as so many of y'all are saying? Do you wake up in the morning and go, dude, I don't know when I'm going to read my Bible today? You know, I said this to Dylan um, in our discipleship when we talked about uh, studying the Word of God what it means to study the Bible, I said, find a time in a place every day, like clockwork, where you will sit down and study the Word. For me, it can't be my home because I get distracted. I can't sit in my room at my desk and study the Word of God on my own because I get distracted. I have a TV. I have a PlayStation sitting there. I've got a bed, which is just enticing after a long day, or at 7 a.m. when I want to go back to bed. Or even like 10 a.m. That's how lazy I am. Find a time and a place where you can spend the Lord and make it priority. It can be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, I'm home from school. School's done. I've got 35 minutes before I need to go hang out with friends or go to track or f- baseball, football, whatever it is, where I can just sit down and read the Word for a little bit. Make a time and a place 
so that you can be fed the word every day and it will make this stronger so that this is more like Christ. Because our horizontal love and joy in our lives reflect directly what's happening up here. And it's easy to not see it, but that's what it is. Is this causing you apathy towards this and everything else here is going to suffer? Is horizontal too busy for vertical? Then vertical is going to suffer and horizontal is going to deteriorate and look more and more like the world every day and less like Christ. To live as Christ is not easy and it's not always pretty. That's why Paul says it is far better to just die and be with Christ and not have to worry about it anymore because that is everything. But we're not called to die yet. That time will come, but it's not now. We must live as Christ. Study him study his word, know the gospel and what it means to have joy in Jesus, to not be shaken by things. And I'm saying joy, not happiness, because happiness is easily broken. You can wake up with a great cup of coffee. There's no traffic going to school. You get there early. The weather is grayed out. It's 65 degrees and it's 8 o'clock in the morning. You feel great. And then someone cuts you off on the road. Maybe drives too slow or someone bumps into you at school and you're just mad and angry and aggravated <laughs> or you don't get what you don't things don't go your way during the day you're mad and angry and aggravated through all of that Christ will sustain our joy if our joy is foundational in Christ to be a believer is to give God the glory to transcribe the worthiness of his praises We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fear condemnation or persecution because Christ is everything. I can't say it enough. Christ is everything. And through him we cannot be halted. We cannot be stopped. It didn't stop Paul. And he was beaten and tortured and shipwrecked and imprisoned multiple times and eventually beheaded. It didn't stop Peter. It didn't stop Jesus. Jesus rejoiced at getting to go, to go home with the Father. He rejoiced at his death, even though it was horrible. The gospel is foundational for everything. We have to know the gospel and find joy in it that is only through Christ. we rejoice in that. Let's pray. Um, Father, I just... God, I pray we hear your message. God, that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear being hurt or tortured because you are everything. You are enough for us. 
You sustain us and break us down and build us back up in you to look more like you and to be more and more holy like you. Jesus, may we hear your words. May we hear your message. That you are everything. Nothing in this world can break you down for us. Nothing can defeat you. And we are in you, so nothing can defeat us. Even death is not a defeat. God, would you help us live for you? Would you help us to resonate in our hearts, to live as Christ? May our labor be fruitful on this earth. And God, may you just shower grace upon us as we will need it so much. God, do not let us sulk in our sufferings or in our dis despising of ourselves, Father. Just shower your grace upon us and embolden us and give us the strength and the courage to know who you are and to rejoice in that always. Father, you are everything. The glory is yours. The kingdom is come. The battle is over. Your power drives everything. And it is everything. Father, may we deeply believe that in our hearts. It wouldn't drive us to not be afraid to share your name. That the gospel will be preached and proclaimed and that you would bring your people home. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name.